Thank you so much, Sanjay. Good morning, church. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm chapter uh, 20 this morning. <clears throat> Sanjay just read, so you can turn your Bibles there. And our title for today's message is uh, The More, the Merrier. So in, in reading and studying this psalm, uh, I found this psalm in uh, my season of life um, especially encouraging and convicting. And so I found this psalm especially convicting because of how often I share and include others of what's going on in my life. Me personally, I love social media. I especially love uh, Instagram, and if you follow me, uh, you know I love to post everything related to food of whatever I'm cooking or whatever I'm, I'm eating, as well as on the side, my, my accomplishments. And I love to see what's going on in the lives of others to support and encourage them of what is going on in their lives. But that's all I post. You see, I often only post the success I experience only after the fact and not the, pro the process or the progress of what I'm going through in the moment. You see, we don't often post and share about all the schools and jobs that we apply to, but only the ones that we get accepted and, and hired to. We don't often, po we don't often post uh, the process or regression of our weights and exercise goals, where at least I don't, I don't want to embarrass myself, but only when we've reached our milestones. And with, you know, dating and relationships and, and courtships, we wait a long time to make sure it's sure before we share our business with others. I'm not, I'm not here trying to say that we got to post all our business on social media. We have to use wisdom. But when we think about our prayer life, the things that are burning on our souls that we want the Lord to address and deal with, I found uh, in myself the same pattern bleed into my prayer life that there's this fear to not include others because the process and weight is unattractive, that there's this risk of failure, or maybe we, we fear that the final product or the outcome would be even less desirable, and the less people that know, the better, the less embarrassment. But Psalm 20 teaches us that there is a benefit of including others in our lives and our prayer requests. Not that if more people pray about it, that God has to hear and answer us and give us what we want, but it's, it's this. And there's one thing I want you to understand by the end of this message, our big idea on the screen for you is that corporate prayer leads to corporate joy. That corporate prayer leads to corporate joy, that God himself desires that we join in the prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ and all be filled with the hope and insurance in our lives that God hears our prayers and does good when we call upon him. This passage of ours answers the question, is corporate prayer necessary? Is it helpful? Is it why? Should I just keep my desires and prayer requests to myself and have my own personal walk with God? The answer is we are supposed to include others. You see, the description of the psalm that, that Sanjay read that is also inspired by God, says this, to the choir master, a psalm of David, that this psalm is given to the worship leader, to the, to the song is supposed to be played and sung by the whole worship team 
all of Israel, the, the, the church, Spurgeon himself calls this psalm a national anthem. Verses 6 and 9 teaches us that this prayer is even for David, the king, that God inspired David to write a song that is a prayer request for himself that includes the whole body to sing and pray along with. Why? Because there are benefits to when we pray corporately and include the church in our prayer requests to God. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive into our first points and this psalm. So Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, that you uh, have written to us and that you still speak through your written through your written word. And I just pray, Lord, for uh, the grace to communicate uh, what you have laid upon my heart, what you have laid in the text, and that it be an encouragement, that it be a challenging, that it move us to greater trust and obedience and knowledge of you. So I pray that you be uh, with me now, and I pray this all in your name. Amen. All right, so our, our, the first benefit to corporate prayer up on the screen for you is this, if you're taking notes, is that corporate prayer gives believers hope. That corporate prayer gives believers hope. You can look with me in verses one. David says, may the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. So the context of this psalm is that David is about to go into battle with a neighboring nation. And, and, and the worship team and the people of Israel have now gathered to sing this prayer over David before he goes into battle. That word trouble also means distress. And if there's one thing off the bat that we as Christians need to know is that when we experience days of trouble or days of distress, we are to turn them into days of prayer. And you and I, we pray to a person. In verses 1 to 5, we get what we call parallels. You have two uh, sentences that say the same thing in a different way. So David says in verse 1 that, May the Lord answer you, and, then, and may the name of the, the God of Jacob protect you. Our prayers, they go to the Lord. Another way to say that is Yahweh, or I am who I am. It's God's name that teaches us that he is faithful and keeps his promises. He is saying that who I am and what I am called is literally my track record, my attributes, my promises, so that when you and I pray to the Lord, we are asking the person who is all who he reveals about himself to continue being those things. Whether it's Jehovah Jireh, which is our provider, Jehovah Rapha, healer, we're asking God to be consistent, mighty God, most high, fortress. Another way of saying that is the name of the God of Jacob protect you. That sounds confusing as at first, but when we think about the life of Jacob and what he himself says in the book of Genesis, he says this after being saved from his brother at one time who wanted to kill him and prior to other neighboring countries that wanted to do the same. Genesis chapter 35, verse 3 on the screen says this. Jacob says this to his family. He says, and let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have 
gone. God's name gains the title of deliverer for delivering Jacob time and time again. And the reason why Jacob himself is being mentioned here is that if God was faithful and merciful enough to deliver Jacob out of his promise to Abraham, his grandfather, even though Jacob himself self-inflicted this day of trouble by stealing his brother's birthrights, and it's a no-brainer. I want to be praying to that God. I want that God having my back. I want protection from him that God will deliver even liars and sinners like ourselves. And that word protect is like keep away. It's like hiding something on the shelf so that no one else can touch it. That's what God does when he protects us. But God's help is contingent on something. In verse 2, the, 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 the church continues to sing and pray this. They say, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. Selah means to, to stop, to pause, to think about what was just said. God desires that we be in good graces with him when we are asking for grace. See, Israel's job is just to simply obey the Lord and defend their land. So David going to war is actually an act of obedience that required the Lord's help. And that the, what the priests would do is that they would make a sacrifice to, to confess and deal with any sin the leader and the people may have and request favor before going into battle, before doing what God himself demands and commands of us. So even in our day of trouble, in our day of distress, when we invite others to pray and request help and deliverance from God himself, it is good that we not be hypocritical or we deal with the hypocrisy right then and there so that when God hears our, our prayers and requests, he remembers or he sees us as repentant, the first thing on, your, on God's mind when we call upon him is that we are repentant, undeserving, and, and ready to obey with a clear conscience. Why is that necessary? In verses 2 to 3 again, he says, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices, Selah. Ultimately, when we ask God and are praying for success and for help for God to do what we ourselves cannot do, we're going to God's presence to then ask for his presence to then be with us. God, he makes friends, but he doesn't help his enemies. You need to be on his side to have him on your side. And when you and I have then a proper understanding of God's character and promises, and we properly check ourselves, we shouldn't get confused or, or greedy when we come across verses like verse 4, but be filled with hope instead. You can look at me now in verses 4 to 5. They continue to pray and sing that may he grant your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God, set up banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. In a day of trouble and, and distress, when we have a proper understanding of God's character and promises and properly check ourselves as well, two things happen when we pray. 
the first is that our prayer requests is like asking for a blessing or a stamp of approval to our soon-to-be efforts. And the second is that our prayer requests will already feel answered. That it's simply a matter of time before we then see it. That word plans means counsel. That although David and Israel are praying for help, they are actually praying for David's war strategy to be successful. They are asking that God blesses their plans. You see, Christians are, aren't supposed to just pray and do nothing. They are to pray and work. They are to work and then pray. And then our prayer requests will also already feel answered. In most American sports, uh, when both teams make it to the finals, even though one team is going to win, one team was always, like, logically going to lose. But both teams print the championship shirt so that they can bust it out as soon as one team wins. But realistically, one team will lose twice. They will lose once in, 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 in losing the, the game or the, or the championship or whatever the kids. I don't watch sports as much anymore. The other team is going to, or that same team is also going to lose in the fact that they're printing shirts that they won't be able to wear because they are not the champions. But both teams come into the battle, come into the game expecting to win. In verse 5, again, it says, May we shout for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God set up banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. When we pray to God, it's not chance. It's not probability. That word may, although it's used seven times in these five verses, but again, they are mentioning who they're praying to, that the name of our God that the Lord, Yahweh, is mentioned here. What the psalm is saying is that even though we pray with a posture of hope, that we don't know how exactly God's going to deliver us, what the nuances are going to look like, we, we, when we pray according to God's character and promises, we should always have the banners of victory ready. We should always have those championship shirts ready, the confetti ready, whether you're, you know, a sparkling juice drinker, a summer's bee, champagne, or red wine like me, you should have the bottle ready to celebrate and be victorious. It's simply just a matter of time. God himself will answer and do us right. Jesus tells us in his word, if we ask anything in his name, he will do it. If we ask anything according to his will, he will do it. It's what's best for us. It's the world, sin, and, and Satan that are going to try to make you think that there's no point of praying, that there's no point of keeping your hopes up. Matter of fact, don't even invite others to pray because if God won't hear your prayers, then why would he hear someone else's? Those are all lies. Are you and I afraid of having our requests known because of the, the potential of an unfavorable result? Or are we not making our requests known to our brothers and sisters in Christ because we're not praying according to God's will and we're requesting something more selfishly? Or have we just get lost hope and refused to pray at all? Or do we think we can handle it on our own? I love this quote by H.B. Charles. He says this, he says, prayer is our Christian duty. The things you pray about are the things you trust God to handle. 
The things you neglect to pray about are the things you trust you can handle on your own. You see, God loves you so much that he will appoint days of trouble so that we pray. And God loves you so much that he has appointed a family in which we should pray with and and have our hope and assurance renewed to pray to a faithful, covenant-keeping God who will do us good, a family who would help us in the nuance of our requests. Because sometimes the things that we pray for can feel like God's will. And it's in the family of God who can help us sift through and get to the core of really praying God's will and support us even when God's will at times hurts in the moments. But again, corporate prayer will lead to corporate joy. Something good happens when we invite others to be praying alongside with us. That doesn't just result in hope. So the first benefit is that corporate prayer gives believers hope. And our second and last point is that corporate prayer gives believers assurance. Corporate prayer gives believers assurance. You can look with me now in verses 6. It says, now I know that the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. See, David and, and the people of Israel are still, in, are still praying. They're still singing. The situation hasn't changed, but David and the people of Israel have. And when you and I pray, we change in prayer. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 to 7, Paul, Paul explains what's happening here. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul here is even right into a plural of people. Prayer doesn't just have to be always us by ourselves. I can picture David on his knees praying and singing with the people of God about to go to war, and he himself, as they are singing this psalm, over him, or he's like, amen, amen, like, yeah, that's, that's great. But now in verse 6, he himself is moved to a place to say that, yes, God will deliver me, and he will answer and save me. I have peace about going to war. And David himself is assured that God would not just help him, but deal with the situation personally. In verse 1, we see here that they, they pray that God protects David. But now the prayer is that, or the assurance, is that God himself, that his right hand is going to be used. It's the right hand that, that, that holds the sword, the right hand that throws the javelin, the right hand that throws that mean uh, a right, right hook. God's salvation of David will not just be a, a, a shielding or protecting or a hiding, but it will be judgment upon his enemies as well. David knows this, is now is assured of this, but when he focuses on God's character and his promises, he can look back in Scripture and see how consistent God is and pray those same promises. You see, prayer is not cowardly or soft, or, or weak, strong men and women pray. 
It's a weapon that gets uh, the God of the universe to help us and even fight for us. But the world does not operate like this. They rely on themselves and the things that they themselves create. You can look with me in verses 7 and 8. They say, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we rise and stand upright. That word uh, 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 trust means the word boast. You see, having chariots and horses is like modern day having horsepower and and nukes and and fighter jets. You can decimate armies. You can conquer land. No one would dare touch you if you had those chariots and horses. But Israel didn't have that. Matter of fact, God actually required this of them for a specific reason. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 14 to 16, on the screen for you, it says this. When you come into the land that the Lord your God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around, that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. It's just crazy how God knows exactly what's going to happen in Israel way before they actually get into it. One from among your brothers you shall set as king over you. You may not put a foreigner or foreigner over you who is not your brother, only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. God's commands and laws are actually for our protection. And this law was to protect Israel from becoming like the rest of the world, becoming like Egypt again. It was to protect Israel from relying on man and themselves for success rather than God and rather than God and entering a treaty and compromise with the enemy instead. You see, God would rather us be in lack and be supplied with by him when we really need it than supply ourselves and lose our trust and dependence on him. If you don't have this thing, then you won't succeed. If you don't have this, then you're going to fail or you're not going to win. If you don't have this resource, you can't compete. According to God, that's not true. What, what, what resource determines gospel effectiveness that needs to go or know its place in your life? Has it replaced or displaced your trust in the Lord? Has it made you dependent and like the world? Believers, we won't lose when we choose to trust in the Lord himself. We, 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 we either conquer now or we conquer later. To die is even gain. Now look with me in verses 9. They now pray again and say, O oh Lord, save the king. May he answer us when we call. So there's this already and not yet when it comes to prayer, when we pray with hope and assurance. On one hand, it is done, and on the other hand, it is just a matter of time to see its completion. We, 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 we haven't seen it yet. David hasn't even gone to battle yet. 
which is why they can still pray before he goes into battle. But they are assured that he will still be victorious. And we know he will be victorious because Psalm 21, the next chapter, is a continuation of Psalm 20. It's what happens. We can just quickly read from verses 1 to 7. It says, O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you and you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow upon him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through, and through the steadfast love of the Lord most high, he shall not be moved. Since Israel sang and, and prayed this prayer with David, all of Israel can even join and, and shout in and, and in bursts of joy with thanksgiving with David. They can sing this song knowing that they've been there praying for him prior to the battle. And we ourselves can do the same thing when we pray and come alongside others and, and their needs when, as they call upon the Lord. Scholars call these royal psalms, psalms that are for the king and about the king. But David is just one king, a good king, but just one king. But there's a, a greater king and a king that all of scripture then points to, and that person is Jesus. You see, Jesus throughout his ministry on earth spoke and continued to preach about an hour where the, the power of darkness belongs to, a day in which God himself was troubled in spirit or distressed, a day or in fact a night that he was so distressed that he sweated blood, a night where he invited his disciples and closest friends to pray alongside with him after sharing his heart about what's about to take place. And they fall asleep. He prays alone. In fact, he prays that he not even suffer what he's about to go through, to not go through this trouble, but again prays, not, not my will, but let yours be done. God answers Jesus' prayer and sends him help from his holy heaven, his sanctuary, not to escape or avoid the trouble, but to go through it. Angels are sent to strengthen him. Jesus himself, he doesn't have to uh, uh, earn, earn good graces with God. He already had it and continued to keep it in his perfect life and obedience. He himself became the sacrifice for our sin to enable us to be able to even come to God in prayer in the first place. You see, we cause our own day of trouble. We choose to disobey and distrust God in our day-to-day -day lives when we sin. Sin is just simply missing the mark. It's saying yes to what God has said no to and saying no to what God has said yes to. And because of our sin, you and I deserve an eternity in hell for that. But Jesus himself, he, he fulfills God's plans and offers us a way in which we can be forgiven for our sin. He lives a life that you and I should have lived and died the death that you and I should have died. God doesn't spare Jesus or deliver him from 
the cross, what allows him to die, is pleased by that. And three days later, Jesus resurrects from the grave. Jesus is alive and well, ascended in, in heaven and seated on the throne. Our, our, our king does not need saving. He chose to die on the cross. But we, we can pray that our king return and make all things right. We, we, we picture David, you know, singing and praying with, with, with Israel, filling himself with hope and assurance, ready to go to war. Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of God, and, and he's like, is it time yet, Father? Is it time to go down and, and, and make all things right? Saints are crying out, how long? Angels are, and creatures are singing out, holy. It's just simply a matter of time. And what Jesus is actually going to do is in verses 21, sorry, in chapter 21 as well, in verses 8 to 9. It says, your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out all those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven when you appear. The Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. This is what Christ is going to do when he returns. And we can pray and actually look forward to this day. You see, Christians, we experience days of trouble now, and it's wise that we prepare for them, but we won't have days of trouble later. The salvation we receive now in this life and the, 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 the times of trouble that we are delivered from in this life are supposed to be many encouragements and tastes until we are delivered fully from this world of sin and hurt and enjoy an eternity with God and his people. But if you are here today and you do not know Christ, and you have yet to agree with God that you are a sinner who, has, who, has, who is not in good graces with God, be warned that a day of trouble awaits you as well. And God will not hear you on that day. He, in fact, will be the trouble himself, judging you rightly for your deeds. Now is the time for you to place your faith in Jesus. Now is the time to be on the side of the king, to stop trusting in yourself and trust in the Lord. You need simply to admit that you are a sinner who has sinned against God. Believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, the perfect substitute and atonement for our sin. And then commit to follow in Jesus, to live a life of obedience to him. That is how you get saved. If you have questions, ask. Invite people into your life who can be praying with you and walking alongside you and supporting you as well. Next week, it was mentioned in our announcements that, that Christianity Explored is starting next, next Sunday. And that's just simply a, um, a, a, a class that just walks through the life of Jesus at a slow and steady pace to really see Christianity for what it's worth. And then for us Christians... And disclaimer, like I promised, I did not pick this psalm knowing that it was prayer meeting this week. I totally did not know that. But again, corporate prayer leads to corporate joy. You and your brothers and sisters in Christ actually miss out on joy when we're not able to pray with one another, when we choose not to pray with one another. Again, when we do pray, we pray to a God who is faithful, 
fulfills his promises and answers anything according to his will, which is best for us. And in doing so, we have a renewed hope and assurance that, 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 that God both hears us and will act upon our prayers. So let's pray together now. And so, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you are God who first and foremost hears us. Uh, your word says, uh, uh, what is man that you are mindful of him? Uh, we, we, we who were the apex of your creation have sinned against you, have made ourselves sinners, have become uh, dirty in your sight, Lord. But yet, Lord, you are fil filled with love. You are filled with, with mercy. You have made a means for us to have relationship with you. You, you have given us a means to have uh, the opportunity and grace to be able to come to you at any time. That because of Christ's sacrifice, we can call upon you wherever we are, in the car or at home or at work, Lord. And that, you, that we don't pray to a God who, you know, who is wishy-washy, who chooses when he wants to answer us or not. But we pray to a God who is faithful. We pray to a God who is consistent. We pray to a God who makes promises and has never once failed them. And so, God, I, I pray, Lord, for all of us in this room, Lord, that as we um, continue to live lives in obedience to you, that we continue to, to come to you with what we uh, care about, that we, that we come to you for every need, that we come to you to be able to receive the help and supplication that we need in this life, that we trust you instead of ourselves. I pray for, for us who need to take a next step of obedience and to include a friend or a family member in what they are going through. Lord, you don't desire that we deal with our trouble alone, but you desire that we deal with our trouble and distress corporately. Uh, so I just pray, Lord, that um, we respond rightly and that we uh, continue to rely on you, and that will be shown in the way that we corporately include and pray for one another. So I pray it's all in your name.